I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm really excited about this one. Um, tell me. Yes. Tell the people who are we going to be learning about today. So this one is all about Kathy Etchingham. She was... Yeah, people are going to be like, who? Yes. She was Jimi Hendrix's girlfriend for about three years uh her book i just read it it was really good it's called through gypsy eyes Hmm. um i could not find it in bookstores i read it through an ebook i don't know if it's been published uh where you can get it in bookstores so anyone who wants to and i do encourage you uh check amazon probably or her website for that um and she has uh, some friends, some groupy friends and stuff. So it's not just Kathy's story. You get you get a little extra with this one. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to this. I've got my coffee. Lynx is drinking a tea. She smells like Satsuma. <laughs> We've got the salt lamp going. It's a good vibe in here, except for the siren. There it is. All right. So, Kathy was born June 18th, uh, 1946. She had a brother named John. They grew up in Derby in Ireland. She was born in 19 what? 
46. Okay. And uh, her dad was um, an engineer for Rolls-Royce. Her mother, uh, she calls her a gypsy. That's through gypsy eyes. Um, she used to tell her par- uh, her schoolmates that her parents were her grandparents because they had her when they were quite older. Uh, when she was five, they moved to quite an isolated area, and the family be- took in a boarder named Tom. He was around 20. Uh, soon, Tom and her mother, Lil, began having an affair, which went on for a while. Uh, Lil, her mom, eventually left them with Tom, just got up and left. So much younger man. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, Cougar gypsy. So, yeah. Uh since they came from this gypsy blood, Kathy talks about how her mother really uh, romanticized the old gypsy caravan, you know, free free life kind of lifestyle. And uh, she couldn't have that life tied down to a family, unfortunately. And uh, Kathy actually found out many years later that she had two other half-sisters because her mother had done to them exactly what she ended up doing a Kathy and her brother John, which was, you know, starting the family, then leaving the family. So um, I believe, like, Kathy was around 10, and her brother was just a few years older. Their father really didn't take well to it. He started drinking. He just kind of left them to fend for themselves. Uh, She writes about, you know, their whole life just kind of went into disarray, uh, until their father took on some boarders again and they kind of offered to take care of their kids or his kids sorry it's like the original airbnb yeah and uh but they had kids of their own so they kind of like kathy and her brother john kind of ended up at the bottom of the pecking order which of course wasn't very good their dad ended up signing the lease to this new family and then boom like all of them are homeless so they initially went to Dublin to live with an aunt who did not want them. Uh, Kathy and her brother, this was the first planned escape that she made. Uh, they jumped a ship. They headed to um, England. I think that's where they wanted. But someone noticed two kids running around on a ship all alone. And unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe they're a little too young for that. Uh, the police were there when they got off. Uh, the family decided as a pair they were too much, so they separated Kathy oh, from her sad. brother. Yeah. Um, Kathy went to live with her half-sister, who was 19 years older than her. Uh, she actually, I think, had kids as well. So she didn't last very long there, but Kathy says it was with her sister, Jean, that she discovered music. She said, for the first time, I realized that I enjoyed music, that it offered an escape from the more humdrum elements of life. It uplifted my spirit and made me forget the real world for a few minutes at a time. So after Aunt Jean came Aunt Lil, and after her came Aunt Kathleen. I had had an Aunt Jean and an Aunt Aunt Lil. Lil. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And where I know it was Lil and Pearl who were um, they'd never married, no, and uh, they just lived together in an old farmhouse in Aurelia. Aww. yeah, that's cute. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kathy was like changing schools every time, and of course, her mood kind of became more aggressive, and uh, she she wasn't 
you know, she didn't have a good childhood. They ended up putting her in uh, in a Catholic boarding school. And, well, that's probably the most terrible thing for most of us. It actually was no worse than what she'd experienced before. And at least she had a bed and food to eat. That's kind of like with Catherine James when she ended up going to, like, a juvenile. Yeah prison she was like at least i got i had dolls there yeah exactly some sort of structure finally (sighs) so um because of her lack of care she was two years behind in school uh the teachers did give her the attention she needed and uh because she had only experienced kindness from those who were deeply religious at this point church sort of began to play a major role in her life and she even toyed uh with the idea of becoming a nun Um, across from their dorm was a hotel and Kathy used to spend hours watching beautiful people go in and out and she would just imagine, you know, maybe one day I could be that glamorous person, you know, going to parties and it fed her imagination. So about... first step, baby. Yes, exactly. About a year into her time there, uh, Kathy's mom showed up. So it had been four years since she'd seen her mother. Uh, her mom's her mom convinced the nuns to let her uh, take Kathy to buy some new shoes. While they were out, she asked Kathy if she'd like to come live with her again and that they had to leave right now and not go back. So, yes, Kathy was confused, but, I mean, happy to see her mom. So she agreed, and they got on the ferry, and that's when her mom said, by the way, like, I, Tom is still in the picture. So... Um, Kathy was young and this man to her was like a monster who like ruined her family. So she actually was quite scared of him, even though she does say like he wasn't like a bad man, like he didn't do anything to her or anything. Uh, it was just, she was traumatized from, you know, what had happened to her family. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the rest of her family did end up getting the police involved, uh, but the law sided with Lil as the law does back in the day a lot of time when it comes to mothers. Um, Kathy ended up being put into like a rough Catholic school at this point, and pretty much all her schooling went down the drain at this point. Uh, Kathy was unable to understand, let alone discuss, all her overwhelming feelings and ended up doing what most teens in that situation do. She skipped school. She ran away at every opportunity. Uh, just acting out, you know, kind of trying to hurt her mother the way she had been hurt. And uh, she talks about how, you know, she just didn't really trust that her mother wasn't going to pack up and leave. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of what she kind of went through as well. So about how old is she at this point? Like 14. Okay. Yeah, just getting into the teen years. Um. Her brother, by the way, she did reunite with him. She does, they, de- they they were never close again, though. And she does say that her brother became, like, a successful nurse and ended up moving to Australia, and, like, when he got into his 20s and everything. So, yeah, they're separated, but they both kind of made it out of that situation. So the family moved back to Derby, and at 15, Kathy, she left school. She began working at a shoe shop. She met her first boyfriend. Uh, her boyfriend was 21, so he, she he had, like, a lot more money and experience than she did. And he began taking her to fancy restaurants and clubs and kind of opened her world a little more. 
at one of these clubs, she met a girl named Maureen, who was a groupie and very into the music scene. And she started going out and seeing live bands and hanging out with them afterwards. And uh, yeah, Maureen began inviting Kathy along. And she says, it was an exciting and glamorous life. I discovered I liked the company of musicians. It was all so different from the humdrum existence of a small provincial town. So she was getting the the groupie bug, I guess you could say. And Derby is in the UK, right? Uh, I think it's in Ireland. Oh, okay. So yeah, she's not quite in England yet. But uh, when she was 16, she dyed her black hair red, packed her bags, and she did head for England. Okay. For London. Uh, she got a job working um, at the counter at a chemist and soon became a waitress. And she got a room and a flat and she kind of began this new life that she kind of always dreamed of. Um, one of her roommates invited to her to a party which was held at John Mayle's flat mm -hmm. he, legendary blues guitarist anyone who doesn't know uh, she met her new uh, best friend a girl named Angela King uh, Angela was there with Chaz Chandler from the animals who you'll be hearing a lot more about as well so Angela had just uh, just after they met they decided to room together so she got uh, her little partner in crime. She said, this was just how I imagined life should be. There was no one to say don't or can't, to sniff disapprovingly or predict our eminent downfalls. We drank too much, smoked too much, ate unwisely, and slept hardly at all. It was wonderful. Mm. <laughs> that sounds like university. Yes. <laughs> so one night... A limo pulled up alongside Kathy and Angie, and it was the band The Animals inviting them to the scene club, which was in Soho. Um, they were having, they were big then, The Animals. They just released um, House of the Rising Sun, so they're... In a limo? They were in the limo. Can I just say this one thing? Yeah. Because it just popped into my mind, and I totally forgot about it, but I think it's worth mentioning at this point. Go for it. The only musician who's ever passed by me in a limo mm -hmm. was Tom Petty. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was after the show in Halifax. I was there with my dad, and we were meeting up with friends afterwards. So I had stopped on the side of the street for a second to check my phone to mm -hmm. see where my friends were. And as I looked up, these uh, we were on the side of the, the big building, the convention center, wherever it was, and the garage doors kind of came out, yeah. and then one limo came out, <laughs> and then the other limo came out, and it was free. Freaking Tom Petty and his window was down. That's so funny. And I swear to God. Oh man. We, it's funny. Like that you his said window that. was down and he drove by and you and he and I put my hand up, like <laughs> just kind of like not even I just think I would just like put my hand up and I got a wave. It was insane. And I was like, Dad, did that just happen? Uh, yeah, it's funny that you said that because thinking about it. I've never seen like any musicians take limos. I've been in a limo once with a musician, and that was Ronnie Hawkins. I can't believe I and I don't think that. it was oh. his limo. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it was his limo. It was just like a limo was there. Um, I remember Billy Idol had like a Lamborghini outside the, when he played. Mm. I just imagine him like 
driving that to back to the hotel or whatever. Um, Very weird. Again, when I was in Halifax, we found a limo after uh, we were at an after party and we came out and there was a limo on the street, my friend Carmen and I, and we're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I can't tell you that. <laughs> we're like, oh, well, what are you doing now? And he's like, I can't tell you that. And we're like, will you drive us home? <laughs> and he was just like, no. <laughs> and then we convinced him to drive us home. Limos are like very <laughs> old school. Yeah, they're not really used much anymore. That was cool. Anyway, right. that night, yeah, they drove to the scene club. A band was playing. They were called the High Numbers. Kathy was just mesmerized by this drummer. He was just unbelievable. So when the band finished, they came over and hanged out. Hanged out. <laughs> they hung out. Um, Kathy felt an instant connection. Uh, it was shortly after that that the High Numbers changed their band name to The Who. So the drummer was Keith Moon? You got it. Cool! Yeah. So her and Keith, um, they became great friends. They would hang out all night, go for long walks when the clubs closed. They talked and joked and laughed. And um, It was actually at uh, Georgie Fame's house alongside Keith that she had her first joint. Uh, they did go out like as a like they did sleep together and everything. But Kathy says he was really too much of a loon to be a lover. More interest, more interested in getting high and playing practical jokes. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So uh, Kathy didn't want to be tied down though. So that's another reason why she loved musicians. And she says uh, they had the same priorities as us, and that suited Angie and me very well indeed. So they just wanted to have fun, and the boys just wanted to have fun. So that's what they did. Good. Yeah, over the next six years, Kathy and Angie would really become the, the darlings of the scene club, and they would hang out with you know all the musicians who came through there, and uh, she talks about how they always got free admission and whatever else they wanted, and they were never really big on alcohol, but uh, they did take, like, they called Purple Hearts amphetamines. mm um, and smoke joints and stuff. Uh, they hung out at other London hotspots as well. The Whiskey A Go-Go, the Speakeasy, and later the Cromwellian. And at the Cromwellian, Kathy actually got a job as a DJ there. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I want to see a picture of her. Uh, yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you later. Okay. She's adorable. Uh, she also quit waitressing and became a hairdresser, I believe, at this point. So, yeah, Kathy and Angie were pretty much surrounded by fascinating people. They got a room above Zoot Money, who's part of the big roll band, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, and he had a wife named Ronnie, who they just adored. She kind of became like a mother hen to them. It kind of reminds me of like Zappa. No, like yeah. Gail. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, while they were hanging out at a pub with friends, she got introduced to Brian Jones. And at this point, the, the Rolling Stones were already big, and Jones was sort of beginning to get pushed out of the group a little bit at this point. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's sort of the beginning of the end for him. Um, as, Poor old Jonesy. Yeah. As with Keith Moon, uh, Brian and Kathy had a light relationship, which turned into a great friendship. So she found Brian to be rather sad and kind of lonely, uh, he would call her up, ask her to come over just for the company or to go shopping with him. 
she definitely saw signs of his paranoia on some of these outings. She talks about how he would suddenly have a panic attack in a, in a clothing store and be like, they're, they're coming after me, like, go get a cab. And he would, like, hide until she had a cab ready for him so he could run in. And Where did this paranoia come from? I mean, like... Um... Well, she does actually talk... I think, first of all, Brian wasn't totally right in the head to begin with. And then when you mix that with drugs and the fact that they were, you know, a hugely hot band at the time. And he did get, you know, uh, women kind of jumping at him when he went out. And she does talk about how, like, he would get noticed and girls would come running at him and okay, stuff. So, so it's kind of like... Um, like a mixture of first, everything. Yeah. Like the mental illness, but then paired with the drugs and alcohol and then the amount, the level of fame that they're getting. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I makes mean, sense. it wasn't completely unfounded, but uh, I think it was just a little excessive for him. Yeah. Um, she says he bought himself a Rolls... Rolls Royce, and uh, they would sometimes drive around late at night for a cup of tea or go to get meat pies, and they'd sit in the back of the rolls and eat them and like giggle and shit. (laughs) 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 Sounds so cute. Um, She was friends with him for a few years until, of course, his death. Uh, She saw uh, the drugs and the dark thoughts kind of made him a difficult person to be around. So, yeah, she she was friends with him, but she also kind of kept her distance from him. It was hard to c- get close to him, I think. Uh, she says that none of the Stones ever hung out with Brian unless it was something Stones-related, like recording, music events, parties. He was quite isolated from the group at this point. I don't really know if they ever hung out with him, though. So mm. maybe that was just the norm. So, yeah, these were the days uh, just before birth control pills came on the market. And in England, most people didn't ever even speak about sex or uh, safe sex, for, like, for sure. So her friend Angie, unfortunately, became pregnant, and she didn't realize it until five months in. And she, she didn't want to have the baby. And abortion was illegal at the time as well. So she writes about this really terrible experience, you know, dealing with, she did get an abortion and she talks a little bit about that. And it was, it really like shook them Mm -hmm. and it sort of affected the way she looked at sex and casual sex and things like that as well. Just, you know, it's not this like a carefree thing. You you do have to put thought into it type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, one day Kathy was woken up by Ronnie. She, she, sorry, said that Chaz from the animals had come over. Chaz at this point, he wanted to be a manager. He was sort of looking into the future, knew he wasn't going to be a musician forever, maybe, and wanted to go into a more managerial role. And he'd found a new discovery and he wanted to introduce this discovery. So Ronnie was like, you got to get up, wake up. Uh, and she was like, no, I don't care. And he was, she was like, he looks like the wild man from Borneo. Like, you have to see this guy. <laughs> and somehow, like, even with Ronnie saying this, Kathy was like, I just want to sleep. <laughs> so, lucky for Kathy, though, that night, 
she did get to meet this wild man and she went to the scotch club and she walked in and she just noticed that the whole club was just mesmerized she looked over she saw this beautiful wild man playing the guitar and of course it was Jimi hendrix she says, I was instantly attracted. I had never seen such an exotic man before. To my naive and unsophisticated eyes, he seemed dangerous and exciting. He was dressed in slightly flared beige trousers and a white satin shirt with large collar and wide sleeves. His hair was standing up from his head in his own version of the Afro style, another new concept in London. His voice was very seductive as he spoke. So yes, Chaz introduced them. Uh, there was another beautiful young lady there who seemed kind of friendly with Jimmy, though. So the conversation was quite general. But then this girl got up to use the ladies. The Lou. The Lou. And um, so, yeah, when she left, Jimmy was like, hey, like, come over here. <laughs> so she got... Classic. Yeah, right? Classic move. <laughs> he, she came over and... Uh, he he moved in close and he kissed her ear and whispered, I think you're beautiful. And he's so he is English. Yeah. Because he's not. Well, isn't Noel Redding? Noel is. Yeah. Okay. So that's is. where I got a little bit confused because yeah. I can't picture Jimi Hendrix speaking with, with an, an accent. accent, but they were in London. Yes. Do, do, do. Okay. I will explain this. Thank you very much. So the other girl comes back from the bathroom sits in the seat Kathy was sitting in, which was beside Ronnie. And all of a sudden, Ronnie just explodes, starts yelling at the girl. Apparently, this girl had, like was saying some unfriendly things about Kathy. And Ronnie, being her, uh, her mother hen, did not take well to it. And uh, the girl kind of attacked Ronnie, which was a very bad mood, move. Uh, Ronnie broke a whiskey bottle and was kind of like putting it at her throat the girl was grabbing her hair basically things in the club was at a standstill everyone was like oh my god like these two women Chaz ever the manager told Kathy like get Jimmy out of here because yes it was Jimmy's first day in England he had a visitor's visa and he definitely could not be involved with any like bar fights (laughs) so Kathy Jimmy jump into a cab they get F out of there and uh, yes so this girl who's fighting it was Linda Keith who is at this point Keith Richards first girlfriend his mm-hmm. first love that name familiar to anyone yeah um, so yeah Kathy is like who is this girl like what like what and Jimmy's like, ah, eh, she's Keith's girl. Like, I met her in New York. She's like, it's nothing to do with me. So they went to Jimmy's hotel, and shortly after, everyone ex- except Linda uh, came to the room, and they just had a big party. And uh, Jimmy invited Kathy to stay the night. So once more, Kathy's like, what about your girlfriend? Like, she seemed pretty angry. And Jimmy's like, you're my girlfriend. Oh, nice one. <laughs> Good line. Yes. So I'm going to read what Kathy says about this. That night was a revelation to me. Jimmy was far more sexually experienced and imaginative than any of the friends I had been to bed with. 
Before meeting Jimmy, sex had been more of a way to pass the time, an extension of adolescent messing about. He was the first man I had met who I didn't want to leave. I had never felt even a twinge of regret when my physical relationships with Keith or Brian ended because I far preferred having them as good friends. But with Jimmy, there was something altogether different going on. I wanted him to be my lover as well as my friend. So, like, right away that night, they were, like, they had the connection. Yeah. So, the next morning, they're woken up by Linda Keith, who is standing on top of them, holding Jimmy's guitar over her head, like, about to just bring it down on them. (laughs) So, Jimmy's like, not the guitar, not the guitar. (laughs) And she took a moment, kind of thought better of it, dropped the guitar, uh... Oh, wait, she didn't drop the guitar. I'm sorry. She thought better of it. She looked at them, then took the guitar and left. So she took his guitar with him. Later, she called Jimmy on the phone and told him he could have his guitar back if he got rid of Kathy. All right, holding it hostage. Yes. Um, So Kathy's, like, kind of confused about this. Kathy left. She gets a call a few hours later. Jimmy being like, come back. It's like all good. So she went back. um, And from then on, basically, Jimmy said, you know, she won't bother us anymore. And she didn't. So whatever happened between him and Linda was over by then. Um, Kathy also sort of, oh, Kathy also mentions that after this, um, Linda ended up kind of dating Brian Jones for a while. Okay, it's funny because a, a, a question I did have in my mind was, you know, if Linda was with Keith and then she was with Jimmy, like, do you just stop? Like, how can you just stop? Who is she with next? So, And it's funny because it's like her and Anita Pallenberg swap. Yeah. Because she was with Brian. Oh, yeah. Good catch. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of obvious her and Jimmy must have had some sort of thing happening for her to be that angry, but... Who the note? Who knows? But all is fair and love and rock. It should be noted it was Linda who discovered Jimmy in New York, and it's Linda who got him hooked up with Chaz oh, to be his manager. Yeah. So like Linda's very responsible for his career. Like okay. she was a very important part of getting him started, especially yeah. like in England and everything. Yeah. yeah. They usually are, right? Yeah, There's exactly, always exactly. a woman making the connections and exactly. going, you should meet this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was reading, um, so I'm reading the book uh, of Brie Tilly Shane so that mm-hmm. we can talk about Bob Dylan in the 80s and her uh, romance with him. And one thing that I will be leaving, that I was going to leave out of that book but it's kind of worth just mentioning now with this is that um, when Bob Dylan and Tom Petty went on tour together, um, Bob was releasing an album and at the back of the album he was going to have a couple of thank yous. So he thanked Rita and Brita, which is his dog and Brita, and he (laughs) wanted them to to rhyme. And he ended up leaving off the name of one of Brita's friends and she was like, what? How could he leave me off this thank you especially when he added about a hundred thank yous to it um because then he didn't want it to be obvious he told Brita, i didn't want it to be obvious i had to add a whole bunch of people to it so if i thanked you then nobody would get suspicious but the woman that he ended up out of the hundreds of people 
leaving, leaving off, off of the thank yous had introduced it was her idea for Bob and uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to go on tour together that's so frustrating and she was like it was my idea and yeah. so she was pretty she felt pretty slapped in the face from that jeez especially if you mentioned so many others yeah like a dog <laughs> jeez alright well Jimmy and Kathy were very serious from the get go Jimmy told her like pack your bags move in with me so she did like straight away like the next day basically now don't worry about angie she actually was dating eric burden the lead singer of the animals this is the only name that i know of the animals yes and i was gonna like impress you being like <laughs> um so eric burden of the animals <laughs> was like, eh. yes so she she's with him she moves in with him uh kathy moves in with jimmy and uh just to give everyone an idea, it's 1966 at this point. Kathy's around 1920-ish, and Jimmy's about four years older than her. So it turned out that her and Jimmy shared a very similar childhood story. Her parents kind of, their parents in and out of their lives, uh, never really knowing where they stood with their family, kind of trust issues there. Uh, she says, Jimmy gave me the security I'd never previously found in my family life. The paradox was that he was probably the most insecure person I'd ever met. But together we made an anchor for each other, even though we were both independent, scared of commitment, and really too young to understand any of it. Yeah. So, they, yeah, they sort of became each other's rocks. So this was uh, before the world discovered Jimmy. Uh, he had no money. He basically lived day to day on what little he had uh she says that jimmy had voodoo beliefs and he talked about uh them often and he also wanted to carry a lock of her hair with him at all times uh which i think he did in his shoe i think that's what she said uh because like his voodoo beliefs made it so uh having her hair was like they were all always together mm -hmm. no matter where he was uh, this is really adorable. I had to add it. She says one of their favorite things to do was play board games like Monopoly and Scrabble. And she says that they would play Twister together in their like Aww. apartment, like all the time, just them two. <laughs> so basically, they indulge. Like, that's what I love about these stories. I know about the getting it from the women because now we can imagine and we can know that at one point in his life Jimi Hendrix was playing, playing Twister, Twister with yeah. like the woman that he loved yeah. and that's uh, adorable and when uh, when else would you learn about that yeah and yeah so they're indulging basically in you know the childhood games they never got to play with their families they kind of got to be kids together um yeah so, yeah, they didn't have much money, but when they did, they loved going shopping together. You know, they, she obviously, um, another woman who kind of influential in the clothes and the image aspect. So uh, because Kathy had met Jimmy when he first arrived, she was present for many of the meetings he had with Chaz as Chaz kind of laid out his plans to make Jimmy a star. Oh, what a stupid name. Chaz? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of performance because the, the lead guy in that's named Chaz. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sh uh, she was there when they put together the band, the recordings, uh, getting gigs, media coverage. It was all discussed and planned out from the beginning. Uh, sh seeing as Jimmy wasn't a citizen, of it, time was like really of the essence. They had to reach their goals 
by a certain point in order to keep him in the country. So Chaz, <laughs> Chaz was a very, uh, very important in Jimmy's career. Extremely important. He was very smart too. And one of the first things he did was take Jimmy to see Eric Clapton play. Mm-hmm. Clapton was a friend of Chaz's. So he asked him if Jimmy could go up and play a little tune. And of course he did and just blew Eric away. Um, now Noel Redding had auditioned for the animals. So when it was time to put together a band for Jimmy, he was the first pick that Chaz thought of. Now Mitch Mitchell won his spot as the drummer uh, in a coin toss, apparently. Mm-hmm. It was between him and another guy. This is what Kathy says. And uh, yeah, they just flipped a coin and Mitch won. So the first ever Hendrix Experience gig was in October of 1966. Um, it was about a month after he came to the UK and they opened for Johnny Halliday, who was like a big French pop star, and they opened for him in France. So... Chaz was sending out feelers to major labels and they were all turning Jimmy down, which is crazy. But they kept moving forward. Chaz decided that Jimmy should cover or should record his cover of Hey Joe and make that the first single. Now we also have Linda Keith to thank for this because it was her who brought the demo of Tim Rose who wrote Hey Joe uh, to the attention of Jimmy. And apparently she got that from Keith Richards. So there's a little rock and roll <sighs> trivia for nice you. Nice one. Yes. Now, it came out right before Christmas. It sold about 100,000 copies within a few weeks. And he f- got his name in the charts. Radio stations began picking it up. Basically, all of Chad's planning and predictions came true. Uh, he pushed Jimmy to really write as much material as he could uh, since... That's what makes you the money. And uh, yeah, at this point, Jimmy started really playing guitar, just writing constantly. And Kathy says that uh, Jimmy actually tried to teach her how to play guitar like many times, but she was completely useless Mm. with an instrument. (laughs) So she just got to like enjoy Jimmy sitting on this end of their bed, like making these tunes. So the hotel that they were staying at the time was extremely run down. They were forced to move a few months later. Ringo Starr, who was another friend of Chaz's, offered them his flat because he was living in the country. He was always renting that place out to people or yeah. letting people stay there. Yeah. Whoever lives there now, I, like, I hope they know the history. Yeah, they better. Uh, so Jimmy and Kathy moved in, as well as Chaz and his girlfriend, who I think was named Lotta. So they were uh, beginning to have a little more money at this point, which they happily spent on clothing and putting together a fantastic record collection. And that record collection would later be sold to Paul Allen, who was the Microsoft (laughs) co-founder. So, yeah, I'd love to know uh, all of the records that they had at the time. Uh, Kathy and Jimmy really loved each other, but uh, since they were very similar in their, like, I don't take shit from anyone kind of attitude, they did have a lot of, like, stupid kind of fights. You know, one of those kind of passionate, also they're like 20, so, you know, you know how it is. So Chaz was not enjoying hearing these fights. (laughs) And he actually... um, 
suggested to Hendrix that he dump Kathy and saying she interfered with the work. But if anything, uh, their relationship helped the work because after one terrible fight, Jimmy wrote The Wind Cries Mary, which is uh, Kathy's middle name. Alrighty then. Yes. So, yeah, he was like, absolutely not. I'm not breaking up with my girlfriend. I love her. And he did agree, though, because Kathy was fine with it, that just like with John and all all these musicians at the time, it did not look great that he had a girlfriend. They wanted to publicly kind of be like this mysterious loner uh, who all the girls can get. So she agreed that it was fine. Journalists wouldn't have to know about her, whatever. She was okay with it, though, so it's not like it was an insult. Okay. Jimmy uh, and they all did their first tour. They worked men's clubs in North England. So this tour was booked before Hey Joe came out, I think. And by the time that the tour, um, by the time it was, they were ready to do the tour, Jimmy was like a little too big to be doing this kind of small one, but they Mm -hmm. were contractually 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 there you go yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yes and apparently i guess in northern england they weren't used to seeing a a wild man from borneo (laughs) so um yeah he definitely got like stares comments people tried to fight him sometimes jimmy apparently was very like calm and collected anytime something like this happened she also mentions once like police did not like that he was wearing his like famous like soldiers uniform coat Mm -hmm. and like they forced him to take it off but jimmy like he he always just remained calm Chaz, however, had trouble taking it in stride, and apparently he got into fistfights for Jimmy. (laughs) Um, Kathy didn't really like touring, but she did go on this first one for a while. We know Jimmy was quite the ladies' man, and his flirting certainly didn't come to an end now that he was with Kathy. Uh, She says that she caught him once getting friendly with a woman in a bathroom stall, which caused a furious fight between them. She says she's getting never, friendly. Getting friendly. <laughs> I was being uh, nice there. So <laughs> she says she never caught him again. Um, though Jimmy would give their phone number out to like any pretty lady he met. Jimmy. Yes. Um, yeah. And Kathy was like realizing the tour life wasn't really for her. So she thought she would just stay home when he went out on these little tours. So Jimmy had fun, did his thing when she wasn't there, and she had her fun doing whatever she wanted when he wasn't around as well. She was only 20. Uh, she didn't want to miss out. So, yeah, she... Uh, Good for her. Yeah. But Jimmy did have a very jealous streak when it came to her going out, of course, you know. Uh so Kathy would kind of sneak around when he was away and make sure that, like, no one in their circle knew for Jimmy's 25th birthday, Kathy bought him this adorable basset hound and they named her Ethel Floon, or as Jimmy liked to call her, Queen of Ears. <laughs> they loved her. <laughs> Links did a really co- cute, like, hand gesture, like, for big ears. ears. <laughs> I'm just, like, picturing Jimmy, like, 
queen of ears. <laughs> um, they did literally love her, but she kind of grew to be a little too much for them in their lifestyle. So apparently they gave him to Jeff Beck, or her, sorry. And uh, Jeff Beck ra- took her and brought her to uh, his country home. Another little rock and roll tidbit there. Cute. At the Woburn, Woburn Music Festival in the summer of 1968, Jimmy got his first real taste of fame. Um, after a set, they were having a smoke and a drink in a caravan, and fans broke through uh, the backstage fences and began like violently banging on the trailer and screaming. And um, They were all so stunned that no one noticed an ashtray had fell over on one of the seats and it caught fire, <laughs> and they had to like make a break for it trying to like get past all these very aggressive fans it was kind of scary for all of them uh jimmy went to new york for some shows and i guess you know it's a new country and everything he convinced kathy to come even though she wasn't a fan of the tour life and she says she like she hated it um they were kind of basically prisoners and uh in the hotel and the fans were like even worse in America for like aggressiveness and everything. So she was just like, no way I'm not doing this again. I'll just stay home. Um, Their home had sort of become a bit of a party hotspot. And so while Jimmy was away, she'd be hanging with like Keith Moon and Brian Jones and Lennon and McCartney. And yeah, Uh, she has this hilarious story about um, hanging out with John Lennon and then, um, going out in his Rolls Royce. They all had Rolls. And uh, apparently John jumped out and peed in like one of the telephone like kiosks. Oh. And she's, she talks about how like she just thought it was so disgusting and vulgar and she was just totally yeah. like turned off by it. Yeah. But you can just totally picture him doing oh, that. Oh, for sure. Um, once while Jimmy was away, Brian Jones called her over for a favor. There was a girl there. Uh, she refused to leave, apparently. And he wanted Kathy to pretend to be his girlfriend so that she, like, he could help. Or hopefully that, that would get her out of there. So she came over. They, they pretended to, like, to be girlfriend and boyfriend until the girl finally left. Uh, apparently, and again, paranoia, who knows, Brian saw her talking to a policeman that was outside and then the next day Kathy left Brian uh must have stocked up on some more drugs because that's when uh the infamous bust happened on him Mm. and so of course he was like it was this girl but maybe it wasn't maybe maybe it was just weird timing so she also had a fling with uh, Georgie Fame while Jimmy was away. But when Jimmy would come home, they would be together. So, yeah. Jimmy- I've never heard of Georgie Fame. I think he's like a British rocker. She hung out with like a lot of like jazz kind of musicians and things like that. Blues, mm. you know. So, yes. Of course, everyone knows Jimmy loved ladies and pot (laughs) so yes they were smoking pot and that was really normal in the scene but it wasn't until like 1967 1968 that acid began to take off in london um kathy really did not like acid but jimmy for him it was like a very eye-opening experience and he loved it and of course it heavily influenced his music as we all know um 
she talks about how one time Eric Burden thought he'd have a laugh by spiking Jimmy's scotch and coke, but um, Kathy drank a bunch of it. Aww. And she ended up having to go to the hospital, and she had, like, the worst trip of her life. The police were even called and, like, demanded, like, who who did this? But... You know, she didn't say anything. And after that, apparently, Jimmy was, like, very, like, super protective over her and you know, re- never let her, like, never let anyone give her anything. Or, yeah, she basically, pot was, like, enough for her. And, you know, a drink here and there. Grass. Yes. So Jimmy was really skyrocketing now. He was making money, touring all the time. Um, but he was becoming a little more difficult, she she says he was like constantly taking acid he hated being told what to do whether it be like when to record or who with or he was constantly also making promises he couldn't keep um their relationship was fine this was more like um like career-wise but Kathy was like really shocked when Chaz flew home early from a tour and told Kathy pack your bags, pack Jimmy's pegs. Like, you're out of here. He just had enough. Uh, he quit being Jimmy's manager. Uh, he was really devoted to him, but the stress was just too much. Apparently, Chaz was even losing his hair. Losing Chaz was a huge uh, blow for Jimmy and his career. Kathy ended up packing it up, and she looked for a new place. She says it was really difficult because once she told uh all the landlords that it was Jimi hendrix no one wanted to to rent it yeah um okay yeah so she stayed with her friend carol for a while who was dating graham edge of the moody blues and they yeah offered to let her stay until she found somewhere acceptable eventually she did find them a flat on brook street and this place once belonged to the composer George Handel. I've been thinking so much about Catherine James during this episode because I think it was her that got like hit in the head at one of Jimi Hendrix's gigs and then ended up like he gave her ice and they smoked a joint. And then she was also with Denny Lane from the Moody Blues. So she must have yeah. been around in all of this yeah. time as well. It- I'm sure they must have run into each other. I... um. I actually was thinking a lot about her when I was reading it as yeah. well, especially just because of their their childhoods and everything. They are quite similar. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this they got this new place. It was once once belonged to George Handel, uh, which Jimmy like really loved. And she talks about how when after they'd moved in and everything, Jimmy was later convinced that he saw Handel's ghost. Um, when Jimmy got home, they went furniture shopping together. And again, just imagining like Jimmy going out and buying curtains and things like that. It's just so funny. (laughs) So when Jimmy wasn't around, uh, Angie would sometimes stay with her too. And I believe she, she, Angie got married and then separated from Eric by this point. So they had sort of a whirlwind relationship. Um, when Jimmy got back in January 69, he really loved the place, what she'd done with it. She says, uh, or he said, this is my first real home of my own. Uh, he had some downtime and they spent about two and a half months just being a happy home couple at this point. Uh, she, she talks about how Jimmy really loved 
um, Coronation Street, mm. the soap opera. And so they'd watch that together and play hmm. Twister. And he plays guitar. And what a dream. Yes. Uh, Kathy's family came back into her life at this point. Her half-sister, Jean, had become a widow and needed help with the funeral expenses, which Jimmy was very happy and willing to help with. Because of this, Kathy decided to get in touch with her mother, Lil. It had been six years since she'd run away, and she invited her mom to come and visit. Jimmy and Lil got along great, and uh, Kathy began to sort of heal that that wound from her childhood and no longer had that built-up negative energy. Uh, they didn't suddenly have like a perfect relationship or anything, but it sort of established an annual check-in. The, you know, connection, communication was happening. It's good. Uh, Kathy mentions a film crew following the, them around for a few weeks, and apparently um, the film was never released because the Hendrix estate, like the executives, won't agree. Kathy is also apparently in the footage from his gigs at the Albert Hall. I tried to find it, but I could I couldn't I couldn't oh, find bummer. it. Hopefully one day, or maybe it is out there. And I I just had, if anyone has seen it, please I'd love to see it. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, uh, Jimmy um, stopped caring if people knew about her or not, and he started talking about her in the press and in an interview with the daily mirror jimmy said kathy is my past girlfriend my present girlfriend and probably my future girlfriend my mother my sister and all that my yoko ono from chester (laughs) yeah so adorable (laughs) (laughs) um yeah they were enjoying their time together but jimmy had to go back to america and she he somehow convinced kathy once again to come out Try America with me. She went. She hated it even more the second time around. Uh, she noted this time there was like never less than 20 people around Jimmy at all times. And there were very shady people uh, who were kind of like sponging off of him. Ugh. Yeah. She hated them. And uh, yeah, she talks about Jimmy played a concert also at um, in Central Park. And when they got there, the audience had again broken the barrier and they were all kind of rushed through kathy was nearly trampled on she got like elbowed in the stomach it was terrible she ended up like losing them and she didn't even get to like go to the concert she just went back to the hotel because she couldn't she couldn't handle the crowds she she began thinking about whether this type of life was something she she wanted in the future because she figured it's only going to get worse like he's just getting bigger and bigger her mind was kind of made up the next day when a creepy man came to their room with a bag containing hundreds of packets of little white little little packets of white powder and um a handgun so that's kind of the shadiness of the people in the new york thing scene that jimmy was hanging out with so coincidentally her friend angie was also in manhattan at this point so she decided to stay with her until she flew back unfortunately angie was also in a terrible situation she had a new boyfriend uh she was taking heroin and cocaine and they're not 
might not have been much that she could do to convince Jimmy that, you know, that crowd wasn't good, but she was determined to help her friend Angie. So when she got back to England, um, her and Angie's family devised this plan. It's kind of terrible. But they told her that her mom had a heart attack and that she should come back to England. And she did. And when she got there, they were like, oh, she made a miraculous recovery. But it did get her away from them. And um, the spell kind of was broken. Angie decided, I I shouldn't go back. I should stay. And they didn't tell her until like years later that the heart attack didn't even happen. Okay. But... You know, in the end, it kind of probably saved her life at that point. Yeah. So it was soon after she came home that she got the news of Brian Jones' death. And this was, of course, the first time someone very close to her passed away. And uh, her and kind of everyone in that scene, it was the first time they kind of had to process such a young death. And it really shook them up. Um, He was the pool? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after the New York trip, it was kind of obvious that there was this distance kind of growing between her and Jimmy. So his phone calls were beginning to be more infrequent. Uh, she talks about how Jimmy like would call her all the time when he was on tour normally. Um, yeah. Yeah. She kind of began feeling like a single lady again. And since Angie was also a single lady at the time, they sort of began living it up again like they used to, enjoying themselves, seeing old friends. Kathy ends up meeting and falling for this man named Ray, who was not a musician, just... Wow, she really didn't put her life on hold and, like, she really was independent. Yeah, exactly. She, She loved him, but, you know, that was a time where women were sort of starting to realize, like, I don't have to just wait at home for a man. I can... Mm -hmm. I should go out and have a life as well. So her and Jimmy never officially broke up, uh, though, of course, Jimmy was getting plenty of action. We all know that. (laughs) Um, They were never really good at communication to begin with, so they sort of just kind of, like, stopped communicating. They just sort of, like, drifted apart. In early 1970, Kathy decided to marry Ray. So they, they get married... Word got around to Jimmy. Jimmy phones her. Is like, did you get married? <laughs> like, what's happening? And she's, you know, yeah, I got married. Uh, she asked him if he wanted to keep anything from their flat because uh, her and Ray were going to buy a house uh, in Chiswick. So not, they were going to move away from London. Jimmy asked her if she'd be there on the weekend and that he would come to London. So he came uh, he asked her, like, is this serious? Or, like, did you just get married on the spur of the moment? And Kathy kind of had to tell him, like, I, I love this man, and it is serious. She says, like, she was extremely shocked to see how devastated Jimmy was. She says, I suddenly realized that he had pictured our relationship completely differently. He may have been sleeping around in America, but he hadn't met anyone else he wanted as a permanent partner. He had imagined that I would be waiting for him, the good little woman keeping the home fires burning until my man came back from earning our living. He hadn't realized we drifted apart. He still saw us as the couple, and he simply couldn't believe that I had moved on. I realized in his mind I had let him down just like his mom and dad had before me. He had been relying on me to be a person 
permanent fixture in his life, but I was nowhere near old or mature enough to fulfill that role. I wasn't willing to give up my life to be a rock and roll widow. Wow. Yeah. So Jimmy stayed in London for a week. Uh, He really tried to convince her to you know, dump Ray and go to New York with her, him and like live with him. But she, she resisted. Uh, They did manage to remain friends, which she was of course very happy about. So yeah, they're, they're split up. Kathy and Ray moved and they were settling nicely. Uh, About six months in, she got a call. This is like July, 1970 ish. Uh, she got a call from Angie. Apparently, Angie and another girl were in a hotel room with Jimmy, and Jimmy had, like, a fit. Uh, he was throwing things around the room. He was demanding that the both of them leave, except uh, he had their clothes locked in the bedroom with him. Like, they were outside. Not outside. They were, like, in the living room, and he was like, get out of here. But they were like, our clothes are in there. Like, their suitcases. I, not like they, they were, were just naked. Na- they were naked. Oh, so like they literally couldn't leave. So they were calling Angie. Yeah. So her friend. Yes. Is now with Jimmy. Yes. Okay. They're not like a relationship. They're just having what three ways. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kathy says nothing about this um, being a bother to her. Yeah. Okay. It's just she's married now, and Angie's still having the fun rock and roll life, which isn't so fun at this very moment. So, yeah, Angie begged Kathy to come down and help them. So she, when she arrived, she found Jimmy in a really bad way. Uh, she thought it was the flu at the time, but, you know, now she kind of realizes he was probably going through withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, the distressed superstar in the hotel suite was not the Jimmy I had met and fallen in love with four years before. All the sweetness and gentleness had disappeared. The drugs and stress had changed him beyond recognition. So... She sort of took care of Jimmy a little bit. She got, she got their clothes. She got the girls out of there. Uh, she saw Jimmy a few weeks later. He looked much better. He obviously kind of the cold turkey withdrawal had had uh, left, or maybe maybe he got some stuff. Who knows? But uh, he told her which hotel room he was staying at. He asked her to drop by. She said, oh, maybe, but she decided not to. So the next morning, she got a phone call. Jimmy was dead. No. Yeah. She was devastated, and she was even more upset when she saw the way the media was treating it. Um, they, were, they weren't they were very nice about it. You know, dead rock star, like drugs, boo. You know, they, mm-hmm. they tried to make him look not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband was friends with a journalist at the time, and they convinced her to do a story for the paper. She thought um, she could sort of change the image that they were putting out there of him. She thought she was participating in a tribute, you know, set things straight, counter the awful stories the press were using. But unfortunately, when the story came out, Kathy realized she'd kind of become a victim of the media as well. Like and sort of like a Ginger Alden situation. Yeah. Yeah. They spoke out and then regretted it because it got twisted again. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, her words turned into something, you know, she'd never said. She went to a lawyer who convinced her, you know, you're not going to win if you take on a mighty newspaper. Like, don't even bother. So uh, she just 
decided she would never again like speak to the media and she uh she didn't until 1981 and i think that's when she did like a u.s radio interview which i guess is a better way to do it since they're not you know cutting up your words there it's it was like a conversation so yeah um I'm I'm kind of brushing by Jimmy's death here, but we're going to go back to it. it the story kind of gets crazier as it goes on. Right now, it's just like a story, but now we're going to get into some wild stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're like finishing off strong here. We're yes. not. All right. Let's oh, yes. do this. So yeah, married life wasn't easy as Ray turned out to be quite the alcoholic. Um, it took Kathy some time, but she managed to separate from him in about, I think it, they had like two or three years together. They did manage to remain friends, as she did with all her past lovers. Uh, so when Ray called her for help, Kathy was there for him. It turned out Ray was supporting them by smuggling dope in for Howard Marks. Now, Howard is the most notorious drug smuggler in Britain, like ever. <laughs> So, oh, and funny enough, um, Kathy actually sat next to him at a dinner party like many, many years later, and he kind of encouraged her to write this book. Oh, okay so, then. Yes. Um, he did time and he got out. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, things kind of went south and Ray was now on the run from the law and he was hiding in Hawaii. He asked her to come. So she did. What? <laughs> Okay. It sounded kind of like they were living the high life out there. That he had a sports car, he had a condo, all, all he had like tons of rich drug smuggling friends out there. But the beach bum party life really wasn't for Kathy, and she stayed there for about a month before being like, "This is not right." <laughs> so Kathy went back to England, and she consulted with a lawyer for Ray to like help him figure out how to best handle this situation. Um, he said that Ray should probably, like, turn himself in. Yeah. Um, shortly after, actually, the police, uh, um, I think they, like, raided her flat and brought her in thinking she probably knew more than she did, which she didn't. But um, the interrogation sort of, like, when Ray found out, he realized, like, I, sh I need to be a man here. And so he flew back to London, turned himself in, um, he was sentenced to four years, but he only served two and they officially divorced when he was in prison. So that's a little wild story there. Okay. <laughs> so, um, after Ray, Kathy became involved with a man named Nick Page. He was a doctor, uh, but he also had many interests. And when friends of theirs who owned a private island were putting together a scallop farm, um, him and some marine biologists moved out to this island and Kathy moved with them. So um, I think they were like in at, on this farm for like a year at least, like learning how to put together a scallop farm, okay. which sounds interesting. Um, they did return to England and uh, I believe they were married in 1977. And they have two sons now named James and Williams. So... She's becoming a mother at this point. And now, unfortunately, if you're wondering what happened to Angie, that's not a pleasant story. Um, she had a son in 1973. She left the man that she had the son with, and she got into like a bad scene with like addiction again. 
um, Angie was neglecting her duties as a mother and Kathy was sort of always called upon to help out and there's this terrible incident of Kathy bringing her son James over and walking in on Angie and her boyfriend like shooting up and so that was sort of like the last time Kathy saw Angie yeah but Angie's parents were in Australia they all convinced Angie to move out there like away from the bad situation which she did and they did keep in touch Angie wrote to Kathy um Angie did not give up uh, the rock and roll lifestyle. Kathy talks about how she uh, would write her about her new her new friend Michael Hutchins. <laughs> so, yeah, um, she remarried. She had two more kids, but she still struggled with addiction. Um, she actually got in trouble with the law a couple times. And in December of 1992, her I don't know if it was a husband or a boyfriend, but. Um, I think Angie had threatened to take their children away from him and or sorry, I think he threatened Angie like you're you need to get help or else I'm going to take the kids away. Angie picked up a kitchen knife. He picked up a knife and he ended up kind of stabbing her in self-defense. And not kind of. I mean, he did. I don't know why I said uh, kind of. He kind of <laughs> yeah. murdered her. I didn't want to say it, I guess. Yes. She okay. he stabbed her in the heart, so she oh, died God. instantly. He he was sentenced to four years, and her kids stayed with Angie's kids stayed with her parents. Yeah, so that's a sad thing. bummer town. Yeah. Um, in 1981, gonna go back a little bit. A Hendrix biography called "Excuse Me While I Kiss the Sky" was about to be published. In it, the author David Henderson kind of paints Kathy as this spaced out acid-taking vixen who lures Jimmy into a world oh, that... fuck off. Yeah, eventually killed him. And uh, she Henderson also went on to accuse Monica Daneman, Daneman? Uh the girl who was with him the night he died, of basically killing him through neglect. So Kathy was really outraged, obviously, and she decided to take action. She found a way to contact Monica and because uh, she assumed Monica was probably angry about this... Per- portrayal of her as well and uh she contacted noel and mitch and the four of them got together to discuss this book i guess there was also things about noel and mitch in there that they weren't happy about i'm not positive what they were though now she talks about monica being quite a unique woman apparently she came to the house okay this is 1981 she came out decked in her finest 60s ensemble, velvet bell bottoms and all. Um, yeah, she says it was basically like she looked like she was about to go see a Hendrix show. <laughs> um, she, Monica asked if she could record their conversation, claiming she didn't speak English very well because she was German and that it helped her. So she thought, okay, whatever. Um, Monica told them about the night Jimmy died. She said... Jimmy was having trouble sleeping and she'd given him some sleeping pills. They weren't working, so he took more. She believes about nine in total. In the morning, she couldn't wake him up. She called for an ambulance, drove with him in the ambulance. She says uh, they sat him upright and just let his head roll around. And she says the hospital doctors were racist and didn't bother to try to help Jimmy at all. And um, when they finally went to help him, he was pronounced dead. So it wasn't heroin. 
It was sleeping, it was sleeping pills? pills. Oh, geez. Um, after their discussion, Monica asked Kathy about a million questions about Jimmy, like his favorite food, what he liked to do, what they talked about. It was kind of weird, but like Kathy was just trying to be nice and she answered her. Um, Monica also gave them an open invite to her place, which was very close to Kathy's husband Nick's family's house. So they actually did stop in once. She says her house was apparently just like a big Jimi Hendrix shrine. shrine. Okay, yeah, yeah. With the questions, it was this is yeah kind of weird. Just, she 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 was a painter and she painted. She had like millions of photos or paintings that she'd done of Jimmy all over her walls. Uh, the visit was obviously a very short one, and Monica left them with another open invitation: "Give me a ring any time, but don't." phone me on the full moon on the full moon jimmy and i are in communication we go traveling together on the astral plane that sounds like something i would say <laughs> like woo, cuckoo. And I'm like, <laughs> so kathy was like maybe i should just move forward with this legal action on my own <laughs> so she went and she discussed the book with lawyers um her lawyers did manage to stop the publication in Britain. It was released about a decade later with the piece on her removed, but the stuff on Monica remained in it. Now, Monica was contacting the press and she was telling them that she was responsible for this delay. And that was she, she all like, Oh, Jimmy and I, we used to play Twister together and these are all of his favorite foods. Sort of. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She was saying like, she was lying. She was saying she was responsible for all this. And Kathy was like, why is she doing this? This is weird, but whatever. Um, then Noel decided to write his memoirs. Wait, he has a memoir? Uh, yeah, I guess oh, so. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, let's, we should look into that. We should. We should. Um, and he mentions Monica in it. And apparently he called Kathy, like, really upset. He said that Monica was um, threatening legal action against him. In the book, he mentions Monica left Jimmy that night to grab cigarettes. And so Monica was claiming that he was uh, accusing her of negligence. So he asked for Kathy's help. Now, it's, it's going to be a little complicated here, so, like, just... Just follow me here. Follow me. It's a crazy story. Okay, I'm with it's, you. It's worth, it's worth hearing. So through the help of Mitch Mitchell's girlfriend, a woman named D. Bonham Carter, who apparently was from the bon, uh, Bonham Carter family, which, if you don't know, isn't just Helena. It's like a, a massive British family that they're famous. Anyway... D and her um, tracked down the ambulance driver that drove Jimmy to the hospital that night. Now, he said Jimmy was dead when they got to the hotel. He says, when we got to the flat, the door was wide opened. The body was on the bed, covered in vomit of all colors, black, brown, all over him and the pillow. There wasn't another soul in sight. I went back to the ambulance thinking... Um, he was dead and that the circumstances were strange. A couple of young policemen turn up and they told us to take him to the hospital. Now, none of these people realized this is Jimi Hendrix. So 
had they known this, the scene probably would, would have been treated much differently. But as it was, they just kind of thought another dead junkie. Mm. Uh, through more investigative work, uh, Kathy and Dee managed to track down the second ambulance driver and the policemen who recalled the scene the exact same way that was explained to them by the first ambulance driver. So they also talked to a pathologist for his opinion because the original had passed away. Uh, he said that Jimmy had been dead um, by then because of all the fluid in his lungs. Uh, he also says Jimmy may have only needed to take about four of those pills to, to have that happen. So it might not have been like, again, the media was sort of claiming this this drugged up guy, like rock star, drug fiend, you know, excess and all that. It might not have been like a case of that. It might just, you know, it was an accident. So all of these revelations were coming out and sort of completely blowing the, away the myth about his death that had been put out into the media it was after speaking to eric burden that kathy got really suspicious eric says monica called him very early in the morning like around 6 30 a.m 6 6 30 saying jimmy wouldn't wake up eric insisted she call an ambulance but she was hesitant saying well there's drugs in the room like i gotta clean up he told her like get rid of them and call so Apparently, Monica called him at like 6.30. The ambulance wasn't called until 11.18 a.m. Mm. The ambulance didn't get there until like 11.30. Now, Kathy felt there was enough doubts here that a formal inquest should be opened. Uh, it was in the beginning stages of being investigated when the press caught wind of this and turned it into a big thing. And it caused some people to get tight-lipped again. Uh, the investigators cleared the ambulance workers of any wrongdoing, but... Uh, without the cooperation of all the parties, there wasn't much more they could do. Eric and Eric's girlfriend, who was also um, like there and everything, they they wouldn't really talk about it. So the judge threw out Monica's case against Noel because of all this detective work that they'd been doing. Um, but now uh, Monica put that energy that she was putting toward Noel toward Kathy instead oh yes so Monica began saying slanderous things about her uh, to basically anyone who would listen and she actually wrote a manuscript about her life with Jimmy which featured a lot of negative things about Kathy so Kathy took legal actions and they settled out of court uh, with Monica agreeing to an apology a thousand pounds in damages and to stop all slander against Kathy um, but it turned out she had actually written six manuscripts and she did get one published by Bloomsbury in 1995 called Inner World of Jimi Hendrix. I looked this up. You can you can get it. Oh, okay. Yes. While we're on this, um, Noel Redding's. Yeah, um, his is called Are You Experienced? The Inside Story of the Jimi Hendrix Experience by Noel Redding. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to read that. Okay. So, yeah, Monica... This one that got published, she'd written that Kathy lied to the attorney general, that she'd been vindicated in the investigation, and that any accusation against her was the result of Kathy's lies. Now, the problem with all of this was that any time the press came to Kathy asking for her thoughts, because I guess, you know, you read these things and then you believe them. So the press was like kind of going after Kathy, but Kathy would just give them all the research like the phone numbers of the ambulance drivers, every everything that she built up, like the case for Noel. And 
so these journalists would do their research and the pieces that began with Kathy looking negative would all turn turn into an expose on Monica's ever changing stories. Right. So yeah, Monica kind of brought that on herself and it seems like she just kind of went off the rails, like even crazier lies began coming out of her mouth. Uh, Kathy tried to ignore it, but she didn't want, you know, she didn't want to go through the hassle of lawyers and everything once again. Um, but Monica started to get more personal. She started telling people Kathy was an heroin addict, that her husband had found her ODing on the streets, and that's how they met. Uh, since the lies were getting worse, Kathy was like, I, I guess I need to take care of this again. So she decided, um, she decided it was time to serve her with a contempt of court notification. So when Monica came to court the second time, Apparently, she came to court with a pile of her books, and she, like, gave one to the judge and everything. She was, she's obviously not all together, right? Um, in court, she talked about her spiritual messages from Jimmy. Did not impress not the, the judge. Not the right place, bud. Yeah, no. <laughs> the judge was like, hmm, okay. So, yeah, she was found guilty of contempt of court. Unfortunately, two days later, Monica ended up committing suicide. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, if you have Pamela's book, Rock Bottom, yeah. um, there's an, uh, a chapter on Jimi Hendrix, and, Monica, and Pamela actually does talk to Kathy and Monica. Okay. Yeah. Pamela's awesome. Pamela is awesome. So, yeah, it gets kind of even crazier now. Like, if that wasn't enough, this is, like, the final crazy right Kay. here. Now, Kathy kind of found out afterwards. Now, Monica was not stable. We know that. But apparently, all those lies that kind of fueled her craziness um, came from someone else. And that person dun, 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 <laughs> was D. Bonham Carter. No! <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently... D. Bonham Carter was not D. Bonham Carter. She wasn't actually a part of the bon Bonham Carter family. Her name was Dolores Cullen. She apparently had a few screws herself. I don't know. Uh, this woman was kind of plotting away at Kathy. Apparently, uh, Kathy found out after that like she'd been giving tips to police that she was a drug dealer. She even called social services claiming she abused her kids. Apparently, she also went after others connected to Jimmy, even Noel. Since Kathy was now a pro-detective, after yeah. all of that, she decided, let's find out who this woman is. They found out Dolores Cullen, her first husband, was a musician named Robert Clayton. They talked to him. He told her, she's not even British, she's American. <sighs> Takes a special kind of yes. goo to fake an accent yes so um he gave them a copy of their marriage certificate and they also tracked down her birth certificate so the next time she called and started like harassing kathy she confronted her with this information like i look i know who you are stop you know and uh after she realized like oh shit Apparently, she hung up, and she was never to be heard from again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, apparently, uh, it got... Shit disturber. It got like... kind of crazy there. It was it was something reading the book, I got to tell you. like You should read the book. Everyone should read the book. Uh, yeah, it just got wilder and wilder. 
So I'll wind up this crazy saga with some positives. Good idea. <laughs> um, Kathy really fought to have Jimmy's legacy preserved. She ended up getting their old flat on Book Street to not only have a handle plaque, but to also have one there for Jimmy. That happened in 1997. And then in 2016, uh, 23 books Brook Street actually became a museum and they recreated their old flat. Aww. So, yeah, now you can go, you visit London, you can go and like hang out in their old flat, their actual old flat. And the coolest thing that. is, right? Damn. The coolest thing is, if you live there, I mean, if you don't as well, but you stay a while. Um, they actually teach guitar lessons to people in Jimmy's old flat. Oh, Isn't cool. that the coolest? So yeah, you can uh, you can go there, and they also have um, a recreation of Handel's room as well, I believe. So it's like a museum for both of them. You cool. get to like go check out two famous musician composers um, when you go there. In, um, I think it was 2013, a movie called Jimmy All Is By My Side came out. I checked out, I I thought the movie wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. But I actually went to Kathy's website and she talks about it and she says she was not consulted in it. And of course, I hadn't read her book when I, see, when I saw it. And they definitely do paint her as like, again, like the crazy uh, woman who kind of, you know, drug taking and they actually have like some domestic abuse in there. She says, yeah, she wasn't consulted at all. She says not based on any true facts. Uh, And yeah, she was really unimpressed with the drug use and the domestic violence that her character is involved in. And like she says, those things never happened. So Anyone who's seen the film or who she sounds wants to see great. the film, keep it in mind. Yeah. Yeah, like she sounds awesome. I would have never, like I had no idea, you know, when we're reading about Jimi Hendrix and with the plaster casters and with all that kind yeah. of stuff going on. Like I never knew that there was a woman that was there for him that was this like stable. Yeah. Three years. You know, for, yeah. which, you know, doesn't seem like a long time, but in con- considering how fast he lived How short yeah you know i mean she was there fast. from like, like the beginning of there. his career until the yeah. end like she was there yeah yeah she was thank wonderful. goodness for this podcast yes and yeah the book's called through gypsy eyes oh and something really cool that everyone should do uh when the museum came to be they she actually did a lot of interviews like sitting on like a recreation of their old bed and everything so you can check out youtube there's plenty of interviews with her on there. She's so adorable. I love her. Okay. So, yeah, there's plenty. And, yeah, she has a website. Read her book. It's awesome. Plenty more in there. It was wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I think that was um, our one of our longest episodes yet. Yeah, but, a lot. But I think... A lot of crazy. Yeah, I'm glad there. that you kept everything <laughs> in. I'm glad that you got to... Um, yeah, that was truly, truly... Awesome. Thanks, Lynx. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank no problem. Alrighty, um, friends. You can find us online on Instagram and Facebook at Muses and Stuff Podcast. You can um, Twitter us, tweet us, tweet us, Twitter yes. tweet at Chanty Links and uh, rate, review, subscribe, iTunes. Yes. 
Yeah, please. please and thank <laughs> you. Okay, everybody, we love you so much. Um, have a great week. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.